In the Bible readings this week, um, the life of Joseph was covered in Genesis, roughly chapters 37 through 50. And uh, it was something that uh, spurred a lot of thinking in my heart. Um, as was mentioned, my father passed away this week. And so you're going through family things, you know, and that's certainly a family story. And so I want to draw some thoughts out of that. Um, and just, I'll mention, like with my dad, um, I used to call every Saturday. And so this Saturday, I felt like we were saying goodbye. Um, you know, it didn't surprise me when the call came later that this was near the end. And he was 86, godly man, um, had decided not to get an update on his pacemaker, felt like he'd lived a full life and there was no need to press on, so to speak. And so it wasn't unexpected by any stretch. Um, that said, um, on Tuesday night, his birthday was Wednesday. And Tuesday night, I felt like the Lord opened up to my heart some things where I began to review some of the good things about his life and just, you know, kind of build on that. Uh, that was important to me because uh, over the last couple of years, he'd been kind of a pill to live with. Um, you know, that, that was connected with some with medicines, but also things that had never truly been dealt with. And they came back where, as a young man, there had been some things that, that had happened that even though he was serving God, uh, his anger was explosive in those years. Um, and as the firstborn, there was <laughs> this interaction that didn't always work. Um, and, and, but that, and that came back into my thinking, and I'm going, man, I'd like to get these things settled, you know, or just completely cleared away. And at some point, I reached a piece that that's not going to happen. You know, but God then also began to rebuild how many good years there were and how many good things happened. There's a transformation that takes place in life. So even, even though, like, like I say, in, our, in the earlier, and, and even though we had talked about that, those were still marks, even though most of his life was not lived that way. And uh, there were things that, you know, one of the memories I have, very strong memory, five or six years old, dad cradling me on a Sunday night in a prayer meeting. And in those days, we would kneel and pray and weeping over me in the Lord, wanting, you know, God to bless my life. You know, and that, that powerful memory sticks with me. And, uh, you know, there were, there were other things like uh, the first year I went away to college, he really began to develop a devotional life. And that was the true turning point for him. And I, <laughs> maybe having me out of the house helped. I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> I remember coming home, and, and every day he'd get home from work. He worked a, a, a paper mill job, common laborer, come home, and he'd just get into the Scripture and prayer for however long. And then, then he'd go about the rest of the day. You know, and those things stick with you. And, and uh, you know, it's those things 
I felt like the Lord is helping me rebuild so that when the call came Wednesday, he's failing. And uh, I decided not to go down there this time. And it was good because I wouldn't have made it anyway. By Friday, he was gone. But it was like one of these moments where God's just helping you put things in their place. You know, very beautiful for me. Then I go into the life of Joseph, and you realize, you know, every family has some of those things. You know, and even though these people were selected by God, there's a lot of wrinkles uh, connected with the family. And what I'd like to do is just draw some of the things that out of Joseph's life that, that I see as, as important. Um, one, when, you're, when you look at the life of Joseph, you realize that God chose him for a specific task, and he could have picked any of the other brothers. In fact, there were others that were lined up in better place for it, but God said, him. And in some ways, God keeps and retains the right to choose where he places you and what he does with you. And so, you know, when you're looking and say, why was I born in the family I was born into? That was God's choice. You didn't have anything to do with it. Why am I in this community, so to speak? Well, in a measure, God's connected to that as well. Why do I have these friends or this? There's more to our setting than what we can control, right? We have voice in certain things, but there is a, why this country? Why, you know, it just, there are measures like that where God says, this is what I'm going to do with this. And, and in a sense, there's a need then to step in and say, but he does good in these things. Um, Joseph, you know, he early on has this dream that really hacks off his brother's. I woke up, and we were binding sheaves of grain, and all of yours bowed down to mine. None of us would like to hear that from a sibling. And then he has another dream, you know, the sun, moon, and stars all bowed down to mine. And even his dad treats him with scorn. What? You mean your mother and I are going to do this too? You know, it's, it's... and, you know, a lot can be said that he, he didn't show much discernment or wisdom about just keeping his mouth shut. or you know, you know, he just put it out there. He was already spoiled, but, man, he just he opened himself up for abuse, and he got it. But, uh, you know, that said, God selected him. Um. Even before this, God had selected Abraham and told Abraham specifically that there's coming a time when your people are going to be taken into another land, they're going to become servants, but after 400 years, I'm going to bring them out with great wealth. And you're going, well, God selected Abraham not because of any specialness, he just chose him to have this call on his life. And then when Abraham's processing all of this, particularly when he's not having kids and he's been promised all these descendants, God makes this declaration saying, 
yeah, you know, off in the distance, your, your family is going to be taken into to slavery, but then they're going to come out of it. So he says, I'm also going to punish the country that, that they're connected to. And then he goes on and says, you know what? I'm going to bring you back and give you this land, but the sin of the Amorites isn't full. He's saying, the people that are possessing this land now, yeah, they're going to get more and more profane and that I'm going to need to clean them out. Now, if you, if you grab onto that, you're going, he has control over the nations, authority over them. Does he tell them to go ahead and sin? No, but he knows where they're going. This is a, one of those complex things between what is free will and, and what is God deciding things, right? My, my impression is that God has the intelligence to know what the decisions will be long before they take place. But he also makes provision for them. And so he doesn't force these situations, but he certainly knows what's coming. I, you've, you'll have to come to your own terms with it in, in wrestling through those issues. But you, you believe in a God who has authority over all things. What does that mean? But you also believe in a God who lets you make that choice to love him. And so there's that tension. And in these stories, we see some of that. But here, you have Joseph selected to lead a deliverance for his people. Joseph selected to have authority over his family. And you're going, that really is an amazing dream. That's wonderful. I'd like a dream like that. Then comes the next part of the story, right? His brothers get so angry and hate him so much, they sell him into slavery. Well, it was either that or kill him, and they finally decide, well, let's just make some money off of him. That's not the best way to start out. It, it, for me, you know, when I'm looking at that going, okay, I would love this idea of God saying, you're going to have great leadership. and do, First thing we need to do is get you off into another country. Let's sell you to someone. No, none of us would desire that. But it, God's also, you know, God's going to use this suffering for good. But he's also predicting, you know, the, he tells them famine is going to be coming. Well, God's connected to that. Then, then he's also already told them that slavery is going to be a part of their people. But he also tells them that they're going to plunder Egypt. That's not good news for Egypt. He's also told them that they're going to conquer Canaan. That's not good news for Canaan. But he is using all of this for his purposes and his glory. So when you and I come together and we're saying, does God have any import or a connection to a nation? Absolutely. So when, when you know, the request comes out, pray regarding the State of the Union. Whether you like the guy or not, it's, his decisions are crucial to all of us. And, and we've been told, respect the authority over you. So how do, how do you respond? 
whether you like the person or not, you continue to pray that they make good decisions, whether you have any confidence that they will or not. You ask God because you know that it has effect on you as a people. And so there's something that says, if he controls the affairs of the nations, well, then we would desire that our leaders make good decisions. Now let's, let's move on. Others' evil intent and treatment of us does not diminish or nullify God's plan for us. I want to read that again. Others' evil intent and treatment of us does not diminish or nullify God's plan for us. We get used to blaming others and saying, you know, I would have had a great life except for. What we see out of Joseph's story is that the suffering that he met went through was the making of him. God can take evil situations and use them for good. And we have to come to that confidence in our own lives that says, you know what? Sometimes people mistreat me. Sometimes people say things that are ugly. Sometimes people intentionally do things that bring harm our way. Does that keep us away from the blessing of God? And the answer is no. Given the opportunity and our hearts turn toward him, God will take those things and use them for good. So even brothers selling another into slavery, even brothers who wanted to kill, even a father who scorned the vision, did not nullify what God was intending to do. And then, then he gets into the new land, and there's a, a certain nobleness about him. I mean, he's he is not in a place he wants to be. He's in a place of suffering as he identifies it. But he is very faithful in whatever work he's given. He does his very best. So there is a certain nobility about that and a certain... where he's seeing beyond the immediate. And he's saying, God can be honored with my life as I yield to this and I give my best. There, there, there had to be a deeper motivation. So he gets into a household. He excels to the point where the guy just says, take over. You take care of all the decision making. You know, and it's going really well until the guy's wife says, come sleep with me. And he's going, no, I can't do that. And then she falsely accuses him. So again, he's given his very best. And somebody lies about him. And then her husband gets angry and, and punishes him. So he's falsely accused, but people believe it and he pays a price for it. And you're kind of going, where's God in that moment? I mean, isn't that kind of what we would be thinking? 
somebody says something vile about us, and we're going, what do you mean? Take a little side note and tell a, a story in connection with my dad, because I know I had said some things didn't all work out well. Um, in the three churches I've pastored, there have been strong older men in each setting. And some pastors had gotten their butts kicked by these guys. And... Uh, when I came in, I was not intimidated by them. I knew I could outlast them. And I knew that if I did right, God would take me through. There was a reason for that. I'd had a strong dad. Fathers and sons have a, there's a weird dynamic there. You're trying to prove yourself. Your dad's trying to say, I still got it. And, uh, you know, temperamentally, my father and I, I probably was more like my mom. I'm a processor. I don't necessarily come out quick with stuff. Uh, it's a good thing I have a week to think about Scripture, you know. Um, but I, I look back and I realize God used that for good. Me challenging him all the time, him put me in my place, me challenging again. You know, that tension, so to speak, helped make who I am. Was it the very best way to interact? No. But it was used by God. And it, it in a sense, helps define who I am even today. You know, where I would, would either of us have chosen that? Not really. But that's how we interacted. So God used it. You know, and, and, and so I'm, I'm interacting with this story all week long, you know, and again, I'm looking at God's timing, and I'm going, this is perfect for me. Because I'm able to process some of this with the Scripture. But, uh, you know, so Joseph's story goes on. He lands in jail as a result of this incident. And then he rises to the top again. He's not saying, my life is over. He's not saying, I might as well just give up. But rather, he applies himself in that setting, and soon he has control over all the jail, basically. And then there's a guy who comes to prison who has a dream, and Joseph has the interpretation, and he says, don't forget me. And the guy gets out, and he forgets him. Cupbearer to, to Pharaoh. And again, we bring that home, so to speak. There are times when people forget you, right? In some ways, it's almost like you don't matter enough to even be remembered. There's a sting, <laughs> Guess I really impressed them. Guess they really care about me. 
And, and you can feed yourself on that destructive thought. Or you can still say, but I'm not forgotten by God. And whatever it was, Joseph continued. And then finally the guy later on goes, oh, I forgot something. I should probably mention this. But it, it brings Joseph into prominence. And then he's given authority over the land. Where did he learn the managerial skills that were needed to administrate over the land? Well, he'd learned them in Potiphar's house, and he'd learned them at the jail. His skills had been honed so that he was ready for that next position. God saw ahead, even saw the trouble necessary to bring him to this place. He, uh, he meets up with his brothers, and you know they come, and they end up bowing down to him. And I... I puzzle through that part of the story because he doesn't just go, oh, guys, it's great to see you. He puts them through the paces. You know, they, they come out and he says, you're spies. You just come to destroy our land. And they're afraid that he's going to kill them. He says, nah, I'll just toss you in jail. Give you a taste of what I just had. You know, you no, but he's, then he sends one back and there's the whole thing with his youngest brother. And, and But the brothers are going on, we're being treated this way because of our sin. Remember how our brother cried out, we didn't listen? All these years later, they are still, they have yet to deal with what they had done. They had yet to confront their sin for what it was. And in some ways, this is being brought to the forefront and they're being forced to say, this was terrible what we did. It's like when we come to Christ, our salvation really isn't complete without saying, the sin that you are forgiving has not been good. I should not be taking delight in those experiences because they really were destructive. And for you to wash that away and release me of it is powerful. You don't experience the full joy of salvation until you're willing to recognize how wretched things are until Christ washes that away. But in this, you know, it's like the brothers are, he's interacting with them and and, uh, you know, in some ways, he's examining their hearts. Are they ready for relationship again? And even him breaking down and weeping over them is kind of a powerful thing. You know, all this pent-up emotion for years, it's suddenly coming out because he's recognized the hand of God truly has guided his life. He's acknowledging that his brothers and he are at a place where they can come to a healthiness of relationship that they have never had.
He makes this declaration early on. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So he's saying, God sent me. You may have sold me, but it was God who was directing my life. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Ultimately, the trajectory of our lives is in his hands. And if you have a real issue with things, you have an issue with him. It's really important to get a handle on that. I'm not just mad at this person. I'm mad at God for letting this situation be. That's a, a, a very crucial step because we're saying if God is good, he has something in us uh, that's the silver lining, so to speak. He has something wondrous in this if we will keep in trust with him in spite of what others have done or are doing. And the anger, in a sense, when we face it before him, it's like, okay, if you're right, that means I'm not as right. <laughs> right? He says, God sent me here. He has made me father and lord and ruler. So he's acknowledging God's hand not only took me through this suffering, but it's God's hand that also made me father, lord, and ruler. Very powerful thing. Now, I, I want to make one more point today, I think. One at least. Righteousness and wickedness have sowing and reaping effect that touches generations. Okay? Righteousness and wickedness have sowing and reaping effect that touches generations. For this, I want to go in the 50th chapter, or 49th chapter, excuse me. Jacob, the father of the group, comes to pray blessing over his sons. And he gets to the firstborn who should have had the... He would inherit a double blessing. He would inherit double portion, excuse me. That was the way they did things. He was the one in position to lead by birth order. But he'd slept with his stepmom. Not a good thing. And... Uh, he gets called out for it. And his father says, uh, you're not going to flourish anymore. You shall not have preeminence. Makes that declaration over him. There's a price to pay for this. And uh, another slight rabbit trail. The Bible is not real specific about multiple wives. In the pastoral epistles, there's a thing that leaders should not, it should be the husband of one wife as a declaration. And in the Old Testament, you regularly see guys with several wives. You do not see it in health, though. Virtually every situation that you read it in, there's family disruption in, in an amazing way. You know, and, and this, 
you know, there's four moms in a family, and, and hence this continual competitiveness and jostling for position and deceitfulness, and it's not good. You know, and the, uh, the, the, the becoming one flesh is God's intent. You know, there are times when things were allowed, yeah, but it, you can see for yourself, it didn't work out well. Okay, back to the story. Reuben, okay, your sin is going to affect your tribe. You will not be preeminent among the tribes. Simeon and Levi, he gets to those brothers, the next two in line. He says, uh, our brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not be near their counsel. Be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. In other words, they put animals to death just because they felt like it. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So he's saying, your two tribes are not going to flourish in this manner either. You're going to be scattered. Now here's the ongoing thing. When the children of Israel come out of Egypt 400 years later, Simeon is the largest tribe when they come out, or among the largest. By the time they enter Canaan, it's among the smallest tribes. And in the conquest of lands, their tribe just kind of gets lost in the mix. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it gets even wilder. Levi, if you remember, they become the priests. What were the priests given in regard to inheritance? They were given some towns scattered among the tribes, but they weren't given a specific portion of land. So 400 years later, it's still having family impact. Now you're going, okay, if somebody walked into this kind of situation, and that's my family heritage, and there's this mark on us, well, where's the goodness of God for my life? This is what I find amazing. Now, Moses was of the tribe of Levi, right? And their heritage as a family group was violence. Moses ends up killing a man when he's 40 and spends 40 years in the wilderness, right? Is that a coincidence? Not sure. I know that he can't go into Canaan because he strikes the rock rather than speaking out and giving God glory. Again, another act of violence. One of Levi's progeny, Aaron's grandson, Phineas, gets the priesthood locked into their family because of an act of violence. 
Remember when they'd gone to the Midianites and, and they end up worshiping with them, which meant they ended up sleeping with their women? Weird worship, but that's what they did in that day, I guess. A Simeonite, one of the lead, clan leaders, brings a woman right, prays her right in front of everyone, brings her into his tent, and Phineas takes a spear and drives it through both of them and stops a plague that's taking place. And God says, because of your zeal to, to protect my name, so to speak, to honor me, the priesthood is going to remain in your family. So in some ways, you're looking at this and going, this mark is on this family, but when yielded to the Lord, it can continue to, to give incredible blessing even in that setting. What's important to me in this is that each of us comes out of different families with different traits. And you can either look at that with scorn or, or regret or dread, or you can say, God, use that for your glory in such a way that your name is honored, taking what you have given us and using it for good. And we don't have to look and say, well, that's who we are and, and we'll never get past it. No. The transformation of life that God desires to do is to take the very nature of who we are and use that for glory and for His kingdom and for blessing to the community. You know, I look back and I say, well, there's strength of will from my dad. I got some of that. I look at different traits, you know, some of the things from my mom, and I got some of that. I got some other things that aren't so good that, while used improperly, just are disgusting. But the transformation available in Christ is to take those traits and, and, and be yielded for the glory of God. Just my, uh, and again, just a practical illustration. There seems to be a gift of discernment that runs in my family. And I know my mom was strong in that. I've had some of that. I've seen it as much in my daughters as anyone in the next generation. There is, when that's used improperly, it's judgmental. It's draws a line, just says, this is who you are. This is who they, you know. In, in goodness, it's a very powerful gift for good, for good. But it has this option that we can, you know, the choice is there, so to speak. You're going to use this to glorify God or not. Each of your families, if you will look at it, has those things. To examine and evaluate and say, this is what I was handed, but where am I going to take this in the Lord? You know, you can look back and say, yeah, my dad, he made a lot of mistakes. But you can also say, what would he, what would God take that I gained even in that and use it for good? 
That includes the dad that wasn't there. Or going to the mom and going, you know what? Mom did this well. Mom didn't do that well. So, Lord, what are you going to do through me? Why is it some family have gifts and evangelism? You know, they just go beyond others. You know, it, it can work great in sales, right? Good and bad, right? I mean, it, you get people to do things. <laughs> but it's like, what is the Lord, how does he want to use that gift? And so rather than denying our past or trying to step away fully, it's just saying, God, this is the root. Now, where, does, where do the branches go? Where do you want to take this thing? Okay, I... I need to wrap this up, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take just a, as in closing a passage out of Ezekiel chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to you. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Is that clear in the context of what we've been talking about? Dad did something. It's affecting the kids. Father ate the grapes, children are tasting the sourness, right? As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. And what he's going is, some of you have seen this as your father's soul was bent on destruction, so you must be too. And he's going, no, each of you has your own soul in the Lord. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul of who shall sin shall die, but if he is righteous, he shall surely live. Skipped a few verses in there, but you get the principle. He says, you have opportunity in the Lord to move this thing forward. In that same chapter, Scripture says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. So God's desire is to pour out goodness upon a family. Stand with me, will you? Anytime any of us looks back into family things, it's kind of a, it has a certain muddledness about it, right? Because we're so heavily invested emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It, it just, you, you know, that, at times it frightens us even to look at it. But the truth is, God can use whatever has been a part of your heritage and turn it to good. That's the essence of what this story is about. And he is willing to take the things that have been seen as suffering or weaknesses or destructive 
And he can turn those things for value if you'll let him. And so I encourage you as you walk through these things and you're going, this is my heritage. It takes an honesty that opens up and says, this is who we are and this is what we've been. But it's also a saying, God, what can we be? And where are you taking this thing? You know, all this struggle that I've had for years that I don't understand what is your intent for good out of this. We have a right to ask that. To ask for the dream that says, there's something ahead. I don't know if Joseph retained that dream all through his life and just said, nah, it's got to happen because God gave it. Hopefully he did. I don't know. I don't know what kept him going. Maybe that was it. But God will speak the same things to us as well. So we can know that he has good intent in it all. Father, I pray for each one here. I ask that sinful patterns from our families would be broken off. I pray that character traits that have been a part of them for generations would be used for your value and would be used for good. I also ask, Lord, for different ones wrestling over forgiveness issues or that feeling of being forgotten, that you would set them free in you and bring healing. Amen. To me, there's a certain beauty in the timing of things. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to the funeral of my home pastor. His son and I had been best friends through junior high and high school. And uh, he helped me in the defining of something. He made a declaration about his dad at that funeral and said, the, the grandpa that my kids knew was not the dad that I knew. And it had to do with the transformation of a life. And he's going, my dad was transformed so that my father, with the, when he knew his grandkids, was very gentle and loving and, and ready to show him attention. And he's going, that wasn't my life. But he says, it speaks to the transformation that's available to us. And I, I got that. You know, it's like all of us are, you know, the thread this morning is that our lives are to be transformed by Christ and it's available to us. You heard it, all three guys got up and shared. It, there's a theme here, and it's available to us, and he wants to transform our hearts and walk through these issues with us even today. And so I'd encourage you, this is a time to just, in the sober presence of the Lord, to say, God, address the issues of my heart as you would. And... Uh, I encourage you to find others to pray with you. I encourage you, if you need prayer that you don't know who to reach out to, just come on up front. That's the easiest way for us to take care of this. Anyway, I want to pray for God's blessing on you. I remind you there's a meal downstairs. Don't be in a hurry to leave this, okay? May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what you have gifted to them. 
and what your desires are for their lives. I pray as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.